0: Welcome, everyone. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name's Nigel, and I'm part of the team here at Woody's, and um, yeah, great to be with you. And so I'm going to be preaching. I'm just going to be sharing something from the Bible, and actually we're starting a new series uh, this week that we're going to be going through throughout this month, uh, looking at the topic of shame. Now, um, just to be honest, um, uh, Claire Thompson, who is one of our ministers here, give us a little wave. You know Claire? Lots of you know Claire, she's been here in the church about 20 years, about the same time for me as well. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Claire was leading, I can't remember if she was preaching or just leading one of the services. And I had a moment, I'm not going to lie, where I was near the back of the church and I just thought, wow, Claire Thompson is incredible. Now, I work with Claire, I know Claire's amazing, but it was this thing where I realised... I, over the 20 years, her ministry, her teaching has shaped my life profoundly. The teaching around wholeness, around discipleship, not just dealing with your stuff, but also the getting hold of the things of God. I was like, wow, what a privilege to have someone like this in our church, Um, because for many churches, they don't have access to that kind of teaching or someone carrying that level of ministry. And so I felt a a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation that I got to kind of, yeah, benefit and grow under the ministry of Claire Thompson, an amazing woman. So I'm just going to say this, if Claire Thompson's ministry has touched you at all, if you've benefited, whether it's going on a wholeness course that we're going to be running, starting another one in February, or, or yeah, her teaching, her leading, her ministry to you, why don't you just drop her a little line and say, thank you. Because to be honest, um, I did, I had a word with Claire just to appreciate how she's had such a big impact in my life, but um, I thought, oh, maybe we take people like Claire a bit for granted, just around, just does all this stuff, just kind of like as normal, another amazing Good Friday service or whatever. So I'm just putting it out there. I've rarely met church leaders suffering from over-encouragement, you know what I mean? Like, oh, just turn it down, please. You know, so I'm just, but you don't have to, but if you felt, actually, I'd love to do that. Drop her a line, an email, or even a handwritten card, and I'm sure she'd really appreciate it. Anyways, so yeah, Claire Thompson. Let's hear it for Claire. And one of the reasons I say that is what I'm going to share with you today is pretty much all Claire. So don't think I've come up with all this great stuff. It's pretty much all her ministry. And her teaching. And in fact, she's put this series together looking at the topic of shame, which, you know, on the on the light of it, you might think, oh, I've heard more exciting topics to look through. But that's what we're going to be doing, exploring and unpacking shame. Shame is something that um, affects all of us. It's universal, whether you're Christian or not. It's part of the human condition to affected, be affected by shame, unless you're a sociopath, in which case you don't care what people think or feel about you, so this talk won't be applicable for you. But for all the rest of us, it probably will be. Um, So a couple of things I want to say right at the start, and this might be a bit painful. We talk about this at the Wholeness Course. We say the Wholeness Course is good for you, where we look at some teaching and and take some time with God, but it can be a bit painful. And I'm aware that as I raise the topic of shame today, that might be hard for you to hear. Maybe you're feeling a bit vulnerable. Maybe you're like, oh, this, is, this isn't, I can't quite go with this. And that's okay. So I'm giving you full permission to opt out, get your phone out, do something else, ignore me, go for a walk. And uh, we're, we're not going like really deep, but I just thought I should mention that to you. Is that okay? You hear that? You just, I give you permission not to listen. Um, I'm going to be doing quite a bit of teaching this morning. So if you want to make notes, take anything down, please do. Um, and we're going to be looking at over three sessions. So today I'm just going to be kind of opening up the topic of shame, looking at what it is, how it affects us, and with that how God seeks us and finds us. Uh, the second session will be looking at hiding, how that's sort of one of the, a big response when we feel shame we want to hide and we find all sorts of ways of how we try and deal with shame. And we're also going to see how, what God's way is of dealing with shame. And then the third one, we're going to look at calling, how God calls us and um, seeks us to to live out from shame, not to be living under shame. Is it possible for us to live without shame, living in this world that we do that's so tricky and messy? That's what we're going to be looking at. So, um, yeah, so this is our new series. I'm going to put slide number two up. There's a lot of shame that goes around, and um, it's all over the place. It affects all of us, and in fact, there's quite a lot of it in the public. Sphere, especially celebrities or important people who've done something wrong. We seem very quick to want to point that out to them and let them know. Shame is a really powerful thing. Actually, it's been weaponized, it's been used for centuries against people. Now, we, we don't live in a shame and honor culture like a, a country like Japan, but we still seem to know what it does and how it affects people. In fact, um, shame has been used to oppress not just only individuals, but groups of people. Um, So racism and slavery, but also um, class and and culture structures can be used to shame people and to oppress people. So I'm going to go through what is shame? How do we define it? A number of different um, suggestions. One definition is this, shame can be defined simply. As the feeling we have, when we evaluate our actions, feelings or behavior, and conclude that we have done wrong, it encompasses the whole of ourselves. It generates a wish to hide, to disappear, or even to die. Or another one, a negative term of unpleasant self-judgment in which one feels bad or uncomfortable. Shame is a, an internal thing that we experience that actually is often referencing a social dynamic? What other people think of us? And then what do we think about ourselves? We often use the term guilt and shame. We hear those two go together a lot. And they're very similar, but they're also quite different. So guilt is this. Um, Guilt is a focus on behavior. So you did something wrong. I made a mistake. I'm really sorry. I've done something bad. And then you can say sorry to the person. You can find forgiveness. You can be sorted out. That guilt is what happens when we've done something bad. made a mistake. And we can find forgiveness and be restored. Whereas shame is focused on the self. So instead of I've done something bad, you think I am bad. Instead of you've made a mistake, you think I am a mistake. It's turned towards you. It's an inward thing. And in fact, you'll find that you are your biggest critic. The internal voice that can say things like I'm never good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Or maybe, what, who do you think you are doing that? This internal voice. And we're going to be looking at that this morning, the, the voice. What does shame sound like? How do we identify it? So often guilt and shame do go together. It might be that you do something and make a mistake. You mess up and you feel guilty about that. And then you move to kind of deal with it and resolve it. But then on top of that, shame can then come And then reinforce a lot longer of, oh, you're still a bad person because you messed up again like you always do, like you always will. And that's the voice of shame, again, speaking and holding you to account, judging you and speaking into your life. We wanted to talk about shame because actually shame is quite a hard thing to talk about. It's quite hard to identify it. In some ways, it's easier to see what shame is by the effect that it has on us. It's kind of hidden and secret. Shame can feel like a weight, a deadening, just a hmm. It's the best description I can have on people. It's hard to sort of be like, oh, yeah, my shame is really bad today. It's just just hard to get a handle on it. Shame is also complex. It's not just one thing. It's not even necessarily an emotion. Oh, I'm feeling the shame emotion. It's more a mixture of emotions and thoughts and feelings. So the word shame is made up from a number of words, but really it's talking about uh, to hide or to cover, but especially to hide or cover yourself. So, and this is a key part of what shame is, to, to try and cover yourself, to not be exposed or public, but to be private, to be hidden and covered. So how does shame happen? How does it ha- come about that we get in the shame game? Actually, lots of ways. It could be a, a one-off event, or it could be a multiple repeated events over and over again. Are we doing all right, by the way? Is this okay? I'm right. I've just like launched in, and you're all looking at me with a, oh, okay. It's all right. We're going to read the Bible as well, and it's all going to be good. Thank you. Right. Um, often it's because of our own behavior and stuff that we've done that we then feel ashamed about. Maybe it's failed relationships. Maybe you've been in prison or had a criminal record. Maybe it's, um, well, all sorts of stuff that we can do that we feel shame about. It could be repeated things that bring about shame. And we often find this with people who are caught in addiction or disorders that kind of keep repeating and repeating. So it could be a one-off event or it could be a repeated thing that then on the back of that we feel shame and experience it. But shame can also happen when it's nothing to do with you it's been someone else's behavior towards you, and has that has affected you, you then feel incredible shame. And so again, this could be a one-off event, this could be repeated events, but this can also happen because of yeah, what's done to you. So it could be a traumatic event, it could be abuse, especially, again, this huge amount of shame comes on that. When does this happen? Well, it can happen at any time in life. But again, we would recognize that growing up, especially in a ch- sort of teenage times, especially in childhood. But, you know, going to school, what do all my friends think of me? Being shamed by a teacher publicly. Those things where you feel exposed. But it carries on throughout life. University, workplace, relationships, wherever you find you, shame can happen. One of the things that is interesting around shame for us as Christians, those who are kind of following Jesus, is that Christians can be particularly susceptible to it. There's an issue that um, as we follow God, if we're not careful, we can actually fall into a real shame trap trying to be a good Christian. You see, it kind of goes a bit like this God is big and all powerful and all seeing, so he knows everything you get up to all the time, he knows your thoughts, he knows what you're thinking. Uh, God is perfect, causes per- us to be holy. Uh, we know God doesn't like sin, wants to punish sin. We, we set up this image of God that suddenly, the moment you make a mistake, the moment you get it wrong again, which you will do and we all do, actually we feel real shame, not just generally about it, but as a Christian, I'm a rubbish Christian, and I'm rubbish at being a Christian again. And actually, we're to feel real shame. Instead of the idea that we're in this relationship with God that should be liberating and freeing, many Christians, deep down, quietly in the background, if you were to really ask, there's this shame voice going on of like, yeah, I never read the Bible enough. I don't pray enough. Yeah, I said I was and I didn't. And actually, we can feel real shame even around our Christianity. It can feel like an unattainable standard that we just can't get hold of. So we're going to read from the Bible, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is a book right at the beginning of the Bible, and the first two chapters are describing how the world has come about, this incredible vision, a kind of poem description of how creation has happened. And the first two chapters is going well, but chapter 3, not so well. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 10. Um, So just to explain, the the creation narrative, the story of creation, is very complex in how it's put together. And the passage that we're going to read contains everything about shame in 10 verses. It covers all of it from kind of voices, different voices, hiding, blaming, covering, and moving out from shame. And in this passage, we've got three characters. We've got God, we've got the serpent, and we've got humans, Adam and Eve. Now, just before we kind of go into it, um, often when we read about the serpent, we think, oh, yeah, that's the devil, uh, the bad snake coming to ruin everything. But actually, how how Genesis was written, it wouldn't really be heard like that. You see, God has spent the first two chapters creating the world by ordering, bringing order out of chaos, separating things, the sea and the earth, the the night and the sky. All this stuff that God is doing, he is speaking He is ordering, and he is bringing life to things. And so God has been creating and ordering. And in fact, we get to it as the serpent arrives. Don't think it's like, oh, that's the devil. But it represents disorder, something that's not right. So where things have been ordered, there's suddenly a disordering, and he's represented in this serpent figure. Anyway, let's read it from verse 1, and we'll come up on the screen as well. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. made this place for Adam and Eve to dwell, the world, and yet it's all gone wrong. God has commanded them not to eat from this tree of good and life, as they want to, yeah, they can eat anything, but that's one of the boundaries that God has put in place. God doesn't appear right until the very end of this part, and he's looking for Adam and Eve. Now, the serpent Did God really say the the serpent represents a voice that speaks against God, the voice that questions God? And we still recognize that there's a voice that we can hear that attacks who God is, attacks our identity, our significance, our sense of purpose and the nature and goodness of God. And so the serpent, in many ways, in questioning it, is representing disorder, that when the apple was eaten, a a disordering happened and came. Now, Adam and Eve, the humans, just the verse before, at the end of chapter 2, it said they were naked and unashamed. Everything was good in the hood. It was perfect. What could possibly go wrong? This idea that they've moved from this place of ease with themselves and creation to suddenly there's this distortion, disordering not only in the created order, but within themselves, within their own bodies, and with one another, and with God. Adam and Eve wanted to be self-reliant. Actually, maybe we don't need God. If we knew good and evil, we could just do stuff ourselves. We would be wise. But in choosing that, yeah, they found that suddenly sin entered the world. They became vulnerable and ashamed. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and yet they were then more fully aware of that actually how wrong things are gone. How do we respond to shame when we have messed up? There's a number of different ways. They're kind of classic, really. One is that we can try and avoid ever experiencing shame again. The avoiders are people, especially perfectionists or people pleasers, never want anything to go bad ever again. will avoid at all costs any opportunity of anything going wrong. And... That's one of the responses of shame. Another one is that you withdraw. You hide away. You literally, you hide and you never come out. Not just people who are sort of a bit quiet, but super shy. But you're like, you wouldn't even know I was there. It's often because of shame that I I don't want to be seen or known. And I'm going to hide. For some people, they um, kind of self-attack. As they hear the voice of shame in their lives, they agree with it. And they act it out. They keep sabotaging themselves, destroying relationships, um, you know, getting kicked out of jobs. Whatever it might be, there's a destructive element that just reinforces what they already think is true about themselves. Again, shame can act in that way. Or for some people, they actually externalize. So they become aggressive and they're, they're just trying to keep everyone at arm's length or be on the front foot. I'll get you before you get me. Again, it's a defensive posture. Of being aggressive and this is nothing new for us on the wholeness course we cover these kind of things frequently the defense mechanisms of how we try and deal with stuff there's a quote from the German pastor and writer Bonhoeffer it says this man perceives himself in his disunion with God and with men he perceives that he is naked lacking the protection the covering which God and his fellow man afforded him He finds himself laid bare, and hence that arises shame. Shame is man's ineffaceable recollection of his estrangement from the origin. It is grief for this estrangement and the powerless longing to return to unity with the origin. Really simply but he's saying this. When you experience shame, it's not just shame in the moment from what's happened. Shame taps into that thing we read about in Genesis in the garden. There's now a disunity with God. There's a not rightness with other people. And we're desperate to connect, but we can't. We're desperate to somehow put it all right, but we're not able to. Adam and Eve were not able to put it right. They fell, it went wrong, and they couldn't do anything but hide. They couldn't put it right. Bonhoeffer is saying that's part of shame. We still feel today is what happened then. is still happening to us now. So I want to talk to you about the voice and just quickly look at this. What does the voice of shame sound like? I think shame has a voice. It's an internal one that speaks to us. It might sound like this. I know what you did growing up. I know how you weren't loved by your parents. I know why you were bullied. I know how you fail and you're ashamed of it. I know you think you're a rubbish Christian, and you are. Shame can sound different for each one of us. For some of us, it can feel like there's an expectation that we can never meet, we can never get to. We're always going to just miss the mark. For others, it's actually we just never want to let our defense down. If people really knew what you were like. And so as I was preparing, I thought, well, what's my shame voice? What what do I hear? Who do you think you are being a Christian leader? You'll never be as good as Dave Mitchell. <laughs> if people knew what you were really like, they wouldn't want to be led by you. Or shame around my past behaviors. Shame about my sexual history. The failures that I've had. These are the voice of shame that I can hear in me. What's your shame voice? How does it speak to you? I'm a failure. I don't deserve this. I'm never good enough. I'm a mistake. I'm a rubbish parent because I'm a rubbish person. We don't hear it all the time. But often when we're tired, where we're low, where we're struggling, that little persistent voice just speaks to us again to remind us of what we're not but there's another voice going on we hear it at the end of this passage in genesis the voice of god god's voice where are you a really devastating question. It's, it's so painful. It's so poignant. If, you, if you've not read Genesis like that, if that's not kind of interrupted you, you've maybe not read Genesis right. It's devastating. Where are you? It's a question that God asks us today. Where are you? There's a quote that says this. For us, the story about our struggle with shame is also the story of how God has met us at our worst hour with redeeming love and the power to heal. It's Claire Thompson. God pursues Adam and Eve. Just to say, he knows where they are. (laughs) He knows what's happened. He's not, maybe he's surprised, but... It's not like he doesn't actually know where they are. He knows where they are. Where are you? God pursues relationship. God wants to find a relationship and be in relationship. You see, shame doesn't stop God relating to us. Shame takes us out from relating to God. We withdraw from God, not the other way around. In this story where Adam and Eve are covered in shame, God pursues them. God doesn't let shame get in the way of pursuing people that he loves. We see this in Jesus, in the stories he tells, in how he treats people. The story of the prodigal son, the father runs towards his son and pursues him. Or the parable of the lost sheep, someone going out to find someone that's lost. There's the story of the woman at the well in John 4. It's all about shame. She's there at midday when no one else is there. Why? Because she's an outcast. She's in shame. She doesn't want anyone to see her. She doesn't want to be exposed publicly. You've got to see that in how you read the story. The story of Zacchaeus. He's up a tree. He's hated by everyone. He's an outcast. He's full of shame. That's why it's so proud. He says Jesus looks up. Jesus looks the face of God to Zacchaeus. Come down. He looks at him. I'm going to eat with you. Jesus pursues where there's shame. He closes it down and brings covering. And so God pursues you when you're in your most shameful place. The woman caught in adultery brought before Jesus, about to be killed. Jesus deals with the crowd but says, who condemns you? I don't condemn you. No one. Well, neither do I. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's something that we... We feel condemned by ourselves. We're our biggest critics. We allow shame to speak to us more than we allow the voice of God to speak to us. And it holds us back from relationship. But God says, I pursue you. I'm asking you today, where are you? Where are you hiding? Where have you ended up that you didn't want to be but you can't get out? That is what God does. Shame thrives on secrecy, on being hidden in silence, in judgment. And the antidote to shame is is empathy. Oh yeah, I'm not the only one. But the way out always involves vulnerability. You will always be vulnerable if you have to deal with shame because you're dealing with your stuff. The most popular TED talk is on vulnerability and shame by Brené Brown. She's brilliant. But you're like, why is that the most popular TED talk? Rather than like how to be a millionaire or something. Because it's universal. It affects all of us. So I'm not going to leave a big happy ending. We're going to spend some more time with this. So there's some homework for you to do. Maybe one of the things is, what is the voice of shame in your life? How do you hear it? And maybe asking, why? Why am I hearing that again and again? Every time we talk about this, we're going to have opportunity to pray and stuff as well. But also know this, God sees you and pursues you. And your shame doesn't put him off. And so we as a, a church, as a community, in looking at this, can we live free from shame? Or well, we want to live a lot more free from shame than we are. We want to come out from underneath it and say, God, we want to be seen and known fully, as you know us, not hiding and scared. That's my journey as well. I'm I'm still on that and wanting to grow in that as well. So I'm just going to pray, and I'm just going to let a little pause just to rest, and then Hayes is just going to lead us for the rest of our service as we take communion together. God, thank you that you know us, you see us, and... You don't hide away from us even when we hide away from you. But you ask us, where are you? And you pursue us and you find us. And I pray, God, today that we would know you again as you, yeah, draw us to yourself. Help us to receive you through this bread and wine now. In Jesus' name. Amen.